No, 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 you just did it. You just need to press again terminal la registrazione. Terminal dove eri prima? Vai. Sì, sì, premilo. Ok, basta, basta. E butta giù. No, ha fatto tutto il babbo, ha terminato. Poi mi manderà il file. Intanto butta giù, ok? Si butta giù... No, no, ma butta Don't giù... Don't rush, Alberto. You're right. <laughs> In today's episode, we talked to Dr. Carlo Umiltà, a neuroscientist with a unique perspective on music, and also father to one Alberto Umiltà. Then we each talk about the four most important albums from our lives. If you like the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell someone about us. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of Dim, the Doctor, the Italian, and the Madman. Uh, of course, as always, uh, I present to you my partners in crimes, my colleague, Dave Sidhu. Hello. I'm curious to see what happens when we have two doctors and two Italians on the podcast. <laughs> I know, right? We're, we're adding this a bit. That's and really good, my, my, uh, my other colleague, Liam McFarlane. Hello. I have nothing to say. Okay, but that's fine. We're going to talk a bit now. So, in today, in this special episode of the broadcast, uh, we have a very special guest. He's an emeritus professor uh, now, from 2010. Uh, he's a, his main field is neuropsychology. He has 284 publications uh, um, till now, and... Uh, He has been all over the world as a visiting professor. Uh, we're saying Oregon, we're saying Australia, Jerusalem, we're Leipzig, uh, all over the place, which I did not know half of these, which is very interesting, because we are talking about my dad, Carlo Arrigo Umiltà. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for the invitation. All right. So, we are not talking this time uh, about all your achievements, Dad. We are talking about one of your domain deficit that you ever had all your life, correct? Yes, sir. as far as I know, yes. Okay, so we are talking, my dad suffers from a very interesting condition, which is amusia, and as Wikipedia, Wikipedia defines amusia is a musical disorder that appears mainly as a def defect in processing pitch but also encompasses musical memory and recognition. So basically you are not able to hear or distinguish music, correct? I hear music but to me is indistinguishable from other uh, noises. I mean, uh, uh, music, what you call music, is just another type of uh, noise to me. That is pretty interesting. And it's congenital, and I did not get it, so that's good. Thanks, uh, Dad. Okay, this is, uh, uh, this is controversial. I okay. mean, basically... I, I believe uh, it, uh, uh, it is congenital, but it might also be attributable to a lack of musical education. But in my case, 
zeiteste dor orson mai tu sistas se tal of moles my age supposing that what mattered was a lack of musical education they should have experienced the same deprived environment Instead, it happens that they are very good at music, or at least they are normal at appreciating music. So the idea is that my congenital deficit due to some malfunctioning of an area of the brain. That is interesting, to say the least. So, I have the first question. How did you find out? When was the first time you realized? I don't know what, what's happening. I, I can't, I, can't I, don't know why you, I don't know why you young kids are all dancing all over the place and I don't understand what's happening. Uh, 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 the most embarrassing experience was when I was uh, young and uh, we all gathered for dancing. I, I could not dance, and uh, uh, and also coming out with a, a justification in the sense I am a music was very difficult to explain to girls and the other friends. So that was a very, very uh, weird experience, and I decided not to go to join my friends when they uh, go uh, dancing. But uh, much before, when I was 10, 1948, they, uh, they had a, a musical show in Forli, where I was born. Forli is a small town in Italy, not far from Bologna. And my grandmother, one of my grandmothers, was in charge of, of organizing the show. And she was very keen I uh, took part in it. And they had to invent the, a role in this uh, uh, music show in, in which I did not uh, uh, sing, I did not move, because if I moved, everybody would have uh, realized that I was not uh, following the music. So I had to stay uh, still and mute for all the duration <laughs> of the show. That was for pleasing my grandmother and uh, <laughs> She was not very pleased, I must say. But uh, 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 to me, it was utterly embarrassing because oh, I would stay there still for two hours, more or less. And uh, the public was very uh, curious about my role, why I didn't move. They thought uh, I was sick. I, I had uh, some sort of illness. That, uh, uh, I was 10, uh, so it was 1948. This is the first time I realized uh, I had problem with <laughs> you. You were the you were the first um, 
tree on uh, the school recital, I guess, forever yeah. and ever. You were the first dream for Lee, I guess. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty funny. I did not I did not know this story. This is actually hilarious. <laughs> I'm sorry that you experienced that as a kid, but it's pretty hilarious now. That's character building, uh, right? Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, yeah. I have a question on just from the last thing he's talked about about dancing. Can you dance now? No, of course not. Okay, but now <laughs> I, I gave up many many years ago. But now nobody, nobody cares if I dance or not. But when I was twenty, <laughs> it mattered. Okay, yeah, true. For example. I, I, I cannot stand music when I watch a movie. I mean, I don't understand why they play a noise while there is a very interesting scene. That noise is disturbing. And I, I wished I could turn it out, leaving the visual scene on. Yeah, that's mm. the the first time I um, recall you talking to me about your uh, deficit because uh, you have been great, I must say, in my upbringing as a um, film connoisseur. Like, you brought me a lot to the movies and I remember uh, you made me skip judo practice once. I don't know if you remember. So that we could go and see Space Jam together. Nice. Yeah, I know. Nice. He did that. He doesn't remember, but he's like, he, he, he did that. But uh, uh, my, I don't think my mom still knows, so we'll just keep quiet about that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we'll see the consequences when she listens to the podcast. Uh, that's why my, my son has never become an Olympian in judo, because you brought it to see uh, Space Jam once. He just wanted no, to be a basketball player. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the big the big thing back then. But... I remember my father on the couch uh, while we were watching movies. I remember that you were uh, scoffing and we're like, oh, oof, oof, every time, mostly in action movies. Uh, and like, because usually well, it was when the, like there was a big climax. It's a very loud noise. All of a sudden, yeah. there is a loud noise. It's crazy. And it's distracting and disturbing. Yeah, the, the torture that must have been bringing me to yeah. the cinema back then. It would be crazy. Okay. But that's why also, for example, your favorite movies are old movies because usually the, the dialogue is very distinctive. Like they talk and then there's the music and then they talk again, correct? Yes, that would be ideal, but they don't yeah. do that. <laughs> no. I, I, for example, I can understand the English quite well, but I don't... I don't understand a single word in a song. When they start singing, they could uh, uh, speak in Japanese for what for what concerns me. I miss almost all the words when they are inserted in a song. Oh, that's interesting. So if someone were, so say something like the opera or just someone were to sing without any music behind it to support it, it would go from someone talking to someone then um, making noise. That would be the transition is you wouldn't be able to interpret the sound as they're speaking through the music. Uh, yes, they are 
speaking through a noise and uh, the way they they sing the, the words are not pronounced the same way as oh. in a regular talk. So wow. I, I have difficulties understanding the words, but also hearing uh, uh, the words. But anyway, this is not a very unusual deficit. I mean, it is unusual, but in the literature they say that it affects in between 1.5 and 4% of the population. Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly high, I know that one. And yeah. you in, uh, uh, in Canada, we have a, an expert, Isabelle Perret. Uh, she works in Montreal, uh, I believe. She is one of the authors of the paper I, uh, I mentioned uh, to Alberto. There is a paper in which I am both one of the authors and one of the patients uh, 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 that are studied. And Isabel Perez from Montreal is one of the co-authors. The paper that my dad is referring to is uh, Tillman, Rusconi, Traube, Butterworth, Umilta, and Peretz. I'm sorry, Dad, we need to say Umilta here in Canada. What is it in Italian? Pronounce it, please. Umilta, but you guys don't have the accent, so that's why I always say say Umilta. Fine-grained pitch processing of music and speech in congenital amusia. I had a question now about language. So if someone's sort of speaking and their tone of voice is going up and down, or, you know, if they raise the pitch at the end to say that it's a question, does that sort of thing... Um, interfere as well? No, to me, uh, it's not, that is not the problem. I hear the intonations. Okay. Uh, for example, a question, I can distinguish a sentence that ends with a question mark and a, sen- and a regular plain sentence. No, that is not a problem to me. Mm-hmm. What about that kind of in-between zone? Yeah, what does something become singing? Yeah, like would you can. What about poetry? Poetry, I, I I love poetry. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking about how often there's music in the background in daily life. You know, if you go in the grocery store and there's music playing, does that does that bother you? If it's kind of far away. Yes, I mean I I, I would much prefer to have a silence in background in the background. But it's like they are playing a, a, a sort of noise in the background, which is not a, a very pleasant, but I mean, I've, uh, I've gone adjusted to that. It's so mm. frequent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, music is everywhere. And uh, that actually reconnects to, like, as always, I am a vessel. So I asked around, what would you ask someone that cannot hear music and a great question came from my girlfriend and the question was well we usually associate a lot with music in terms of memory so for example i have certain songs that will be forever in my life and will be forever connected to certain memories of my life because they have had a high impact right do you have, for example, more like memories are associated more like with others, other senses? Like 
maybe you have more memories connected to, for example, smells uh, or, for example, certain sounds uh, that are not music, of course. What do you, what, do you have something like that? As you uh, know, Alberto, I have a pretty good memory. But uh, I use uh, a shocker outcomes for that. I mean, I remember uh, 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 a shocker outcomes very well, beginning more or less uh, in 1947, 1948. And so I connect memories to... uh, uh, soccer and uh, that way uh, I can retrieve uh, uh, memory pretty uh, uh, easy. That's so interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that. But I remember one time one of my friends uh, uh, actually, I don't remember if you, if you remember that he tested you uh, for every final of the Champions League, which is the European club finals of soccer. And he tested you in every single result. And you guessed, I think, all the results yes. from 1973 till now. Yeah. Yes. Correctly. I, I yeah. can work uh, as a man uh, easily. I mean, yeah. I, I, I am experiencing a problem of crowding because that was easy when they had been... Uh, only 25, 30 uh, uh, European championships. But now uh, uh, it's becoming more difficult because there are so many. So it's a problem of the interference among memories. So I'm much better at uh, old memories. But that is a a very well-known effect of interference of crowding. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing that I have the opposite side of, of, of the memory aspect with when it comes to music is I, I have a particular skill with listening to pop music. And if some a pop song comes on, I'm pretty good at least hitting the year it came out or almost within three months. Um, but to go on that note about that emotional connection um, and kind of bridge that kind of topic that we have that we, we've kind of centered around movies Movies that they they rely on music, I think, to elicit a particular type of emotion or to portray a certain action and to speed viewers along with it. It it serves as a constructive purpose for telling a story. Um, Obviously, that doesn't work for you. It doesn't have that emotional effect. No, as I said, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that is a pain in the neck when uh, I'm watching a movie I like. uh, over a sudden, there is uh, uh, music in the background uh, that uh, spoils the effect. It takes away the emotional connection that you have with the story, right? Yes, yes, yes. It, 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 it's like uh, somebody had uh, uh, distracted me from uh, uh, the gist of the scene. Mm. Mm. That's really unfortunate. Um, but you still enjoy movies, right? Like, you have oh, a favorite yes. movie? Yes, of course. Uh, I have a favorite movie, but I, uh, my favorite movie has a different title in Italian and English. I think it's uh, uh, 
the pursuers in uh, in English is a um, a, western, a western right uh, yeah. with uh, uh, John Wayne. In Italian is uh, Sentieri Selvaggi, but that is a very weird uh, 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 title. I think uh, 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 the uh, English title is uh, The Pursuers. Um, checking, I'm fact-checking that right now. Mm. I will give you an answer in three seconds. Just give me a sec. Is there something about the music in that movie that makes it easier to listen to? Not uh, as that I can uh, uh, think of. It's the plot that to me uh, is very interesting and also, of course, uh, 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 the way it is enacted. So, mm -hmm. Dad, you were almost there. It is not the pursuers. It is the searchers. Okay. Searchers. Oh, the searchers. Almost there. Almost there, but not quite. I was going through yeah. my John Wayne knowledge in my head. I was like, oh, man, I, I know it's... I, I think I know it. Yeah, the, pers the, the, the searchers. That's a sad John Wayne film. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a, a fan of John Wayne. I just uh, uh, liked that, uh, that movie. Uh, they, uh, uh, I saw it when it came out, and I've seen it several times uh, since then. And I have another uh, uh, movie. It's a very old movie. The Kane Mutiny. It's uh, oh. uh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, I think it's of the early 50s. Isn't it? Uh... Uh, it's the one that convinced me to study medicine, to, beca uh, to become a psychiatrist. Oh, I'm, I'm, am I thinking about the, um, the, the um, Bounty Mutiny, the one with Marlon Brando? No, it's uh, in World War II, and uh, uh, the main character is enacted by Humphrey Bogart. I know which one you're saying, yeah. I've never seen that movie, I actually should watch it. Yeah, The K-Mutiny, you're right, yeah, 1954. Great movie. Yeah, I should watch it. Would you characterize these movies of not having as much music that over no, and the... for uh, either movies? I would bet they didn't have a sound. They were okay. uh, mute for what music is concerned. In my recollection, mm -hmm. I so out of curiosity of an Italian director, Sergio Leone movies rely heavily on background sound. Would you say that you don't like his type of westerns? I did not like uh, spaghetti westerns. Oh, okay. But okay. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think that uh, depended uh, no, on you... the music. No, it does not. My dad does not like spaghetti westerns. Oh, he, what? He f he founds them ridiculous. Yeah, I remember <laughs> they that. They are a bit ridiculous. I yeah. mean, uh, western movies were uh, very serious when I was a boy. I mean, they were very serious to me. And then Spaghetti uh, uh, Western spoiled the whole thing. It was like carnival. Oh, that's an interesting <laughs> perspective. Because I look back and like some of my favorite movies are Spaghetti Westerns. But they're like, they're, they're big grand stories that follow a specific archetype and, and, and plot, right? So, But too much. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's... Uh, 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 Greek tragedies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if one wrote a Greek tragedy now, 
it would be laughable. You must think that they were written beginning of human history to appreciate them. And more or less to me, that is true of Spaghetti Western. Oh, interesting. Mm. I hadn't considered it like that. Maybe you're reevaluating my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps per, uh, for a person that has not uh, seen real westerns, and those were the first, probably uh, uh, the impact uh, is different. True, yeah. There was one more thing I was curious to ask. This is, this is off of movies now. I, I'm thinking about this in-between case where something's not quite music and just curious if it still triggers the effect. So something like a bird call, for example, that's kind of musical. Does, is, does that also sound like noise? Oh, yeah. I like bird songs are nice. I like oh. it. Mm-hmm. I must say that I grew up as a, a hunter. I killed the birds. And I was rather <laughs> expert in recognizing their uh, sound. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But I've stopped in 1961. (laughs) You're good now. You're a good guy now. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. And so that that brings up um, a question of differentiation between like human-made sounds or music um, and singing and the difference between what animals and birds do that are singing that you can somehow differentiate between those two. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, From what I understand from my limited knowledge of Amusia and and doing a little bit of research is it has to do with some of the languaging processes areas of the brain and that's specific to humans right those are those are higher order um, areas of the brain that that process sound differently than they would process obviously just environmental sounds mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I don't know I'm not an expert what I know is that uh, there is some evidence that uh, congenital amusia is linked with uh, some alterations in uh, the right parietal, in the junction between the right parietal and temporal uh, lobe. Temporal lobe is where uh, uh, sounds are processed. Parietal lobe uh, uh, is above and uh, uh, is not uh, directly linked uh, uh, with sound. But uh, for uh, uh, the literature I've read uh, in this field and, and for what Isabel Perez told me, and I think it is also written in that paper, the area that is uh, uh, um, in some sense malfunctioning in, in uh, congenital uh, Amusia uh, is in the right parietal lobe. Cool. Okay, so I know that we are taking a lot of your time, so we'll wrap it up here. I have one last question. I will go for the sentimental question now, (laughs) Dad. Um, What would you you say to 10-year-old you now? He's stuck there not knowing... What's happening? Sitting there and uh, everybody is having the recital, but you cannot understand anything. What would you tell the ten-year-old you for uh, f- being in the future? 
don't be scared. You will be able to survive without music. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting, yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, Dad, thank you for your time. You're very welcome, it was a pleasure. And thank you so much uh, for uh, letting me listen to music instead, so I really thank you for that. <laughs> I'm not being jealous of my ability to listen to music, thank you so much. I, I trust your word for that, I know. I know. I, I know evidence that you are better than me with music. <laughs> yeah, were you ever tested, Alberto? No, but, uh, were you, the next the next part of the podcast, maybe you'll understand that. Maybe I know I have a vague knowledge of music, but thank you so much. Yeah, very nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much. Crazy story. Now, first of all, you guys met my dad, which is uh, super interesting. I for now me understand so much more about you. Yeah, yeah the, the the jokes. And what you'll look like in. I look like him. <laughs> I look a bit like him. Um, but anyway, this was um, this was most of all a music episode. Very interesting to see the perspective of somebody who never listened to music because he could not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were lucky enough that we actually uh, could listen to music and we have a musical upbringing. And this is the question that we brought together. Uh, Dave, Dave, Dave created the question, so take it away, Dave. Well, first of all, the jury's still out on you, Alberto. Are we sure that you didn't inherit your your father's? <laughs> no. I'm about to find yeah. out on his musical selection. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're basically going to tell our personal journey with music, as pretentious as that sounds, by picking four key albums throughout our life. So maybe one that was important in childhood, one that became important later on, and so on up until today. Should I go first? Should I kick it off? Go for it. So yeah, when you're a kid, maybe not for you, Alberto, but the music in your house is kind of determined by your parents. So this is very much what my mom listened to. And she's a listener to the podcast, by the way. Hi, mom. Um, so always in the house, we had David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, and Eric Clapton always on. Mostly Ooh. Eric Clapton out of the three. So yeah, I had to choose one of his albums for my first one. And it was just always there. So I can't even like talk about whether I like it or don't like it. It's just like imprinted on the background of, of background music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to see yeah, that, yeah, it's like, do you like the shape of your hand? It's just kind of impossible <laughs> to answer. So I chose it's kind of a weird one by him, Journeyman. It's from 1989, and I don't know if this is the one we listen to the most, but this is kind of like that period. So it's very 80s. So it has you know that song Pretending. Um. Bad Love, Running on Faith, and it's kind of... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, him doing an 80s style of his sort of blues, bluesy music. Honestly, I've always scoffed. I, I like, one of my dearest friends is a super fan of Eric Clapton. He went to see him two times, I think. Me, I'm not. Like, I love him um, when he's with somebody else, when he's alone, I, I, I it's fine. It's not a bad artist. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. But I, You're getting an email from my mom, just so you know. <laughs> okay. What was it? What was that album? Um, uh, what the one with Layla? Well, Derek and the Dominoes. Derek and the Dominoes. I like, oh, I you mean the, the, the acoustic one? 
Because then there's the acoustic version. Oh really? Oh no, I only listen to the the the, uh, the Derek and the Dominoes. That's that's the album I have imprinted on very Clapton. Yeah, thing. that's that's really it's good. It's kind of cool. He's had so many different phases, right? Like he had Cream and then Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah. And then his solo true, career. True. But yeah, that's the one that I think of when I think of childhood music. For me, so I of course grew up in a very now you know in a very different like in a very weird environment because my mom was a fan of music and she loved you know Kate Bush, uh, um, a lot of Italian artists uh, which you guys would not know about, but for us in Italy they were huge, which is Lucio Battisti, Lucio Dalla, uh, Fabrizio De Andre, which is actually super interesting fact. Fabrizio De Andre is more like a poet than an art, like than a than a singer. And my dad actually knows what he's talking about when he sings. Mm, well, the other two he doesn't know. It's interesting. But one artist, international artist that I grew up with, and I grew up with a single album. And I remember that album because we still have the vinyl of was Bruce Springsteen. My mom mm. loved Bruce Springsteen. My whole family. Like, I think my cousins are, like, super-duper fans of uh, Bruce Springsteen. But the album that I'm talking about is uh, Born in the USA. Yeah, classic. Uh, that's a classic, but I grew up with Dancing in the Dark, uh, uh, Glory Days. I My hometown is one of my favorite tracks. Uh, I never went to see him until 2015, 2016, where my mom actually brought me to a concert of... Bruce Springsteen and uh, I just I realized how much he was uh, an influence to me because as you said passively listening to these songs I knew them when I was mm -hmm. when I went to the concert right I went to the concert and I was like oh wow I actually know the words for these songs even though I haven't listened to this in 20 years it's crazy yeah I've heard he puts on amazing concerts like they're yeah. three hours long and yeah it's amazing yeah man the guy is like a machine he's like uh He's a 70 or something, and he's uh, rocking. Wow, he's rocking. Anyway, um, yeah, that was mine. What's yours, uh, your uh, childhood uh, album, Liam? So I don't know the name of the album, but it would speak a lot to why I ended up loving film later in life. My mom had this CD that we would listen on repeat, and it had all the love ballads of like the late 80s early 90s songs oh my from God. all the, the, oh my the big God. love movies like from like the song from robin hood the song from beaches oh the song from ghost ghost yeah yeah of course it ghost. Had, it yeah, had yeah, all of those songs on it and we listened to it on repeat in our in our van while we drove places wow you're so romantic now that's yeah, why that's what, yeah. turned into romantic that's what made anyway. yeah but that's it, why you're the most romantic it's, it's, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, all, it's all it's but i think it, it it attracted me to like listening to music within film so like having your dad not experience that is like a complete another different reality than i i experienced yeah it's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but i i don't so know the name the... of the cd i can't find it um oh i'll look it up and try and find it but it's it was the cd that we would constantly listen to so let's let's say as a it's the greatest love uh, ballads from that from the movies that's basically the title of the album right yeah yeah it's something like that yeah i love it that. had oh man okay so it had uh the Wind Beneath My Wings was one from Bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure it might have actually had Meatloaf on it, too, with his <laughs> uh, I'll Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like, 
Yeah, it was it was an epic album. That's yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's amazing. But now we 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 slowly grow up and we start having our musical, you know, we start developing our musical taste. So mm-hmm. let's say let this is the progression. So Dave, what was your next album? Yeah, so I went through a phase of really liking rap and hip hop in like uh, junior high. And then I got to grade 10 and a friend of mine gave me a mix CD and the first song on it was Paradise City. And like from that first chord, that was it. I was, I was a changed man. I grew my hair. I started playing guitar. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so this next album, I'm going to choose Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I still think they are the best hard rock band because they kind of, they have that bluesy influence, but they are also very melodic without yeah. getting to the point of being cheesy like Motley Crue or those other hair bands. And I think if you're like doing a draft of a band, Axel and Slash have to, they're going in the first round. Yeah, Lin Yen. I actually yeah. have, um, I have a trivia question for you two guys. And I, I wonder if you, if you can answer it. You could be my recently... Terminator 2. Is that the question? Yeah, it's, it's a from that. Okay, <laughs> that's good. It's good. That's good. It's the question from Terminator 2. That's, I, I love that you can literally read my, <laughs> read my, read my thoughts. But in Terminator 2, do you remember that the Terminator goes in the mall to grab uh, Connor Kid, and he has a gun inside a rose? Do you think oh. that's a reference to the that's song? Gun, do you be. think that that's a reference to Guns N' Roses? There's literally a scene where the Terminator has a rose, he drops that, and there's a gun in it, and then that's he so shoots. Funny. That's so funny. It must be, right? Because that song plays yeah. throughout that that movie right like, as though that so, was the yeah. only song that existed in that universe which makes them even more amazing as a band for yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I love them and it's so genuine and it's so raw like i think they were basically homeless when they recorded this album um but yeah i think i probably listened to the later ones more use your illusion but this was a big album for me when i when i heard that song gotcha dude there's a whole website on what you just referenced on the well, what? roses hidden message <laughs> in Terminator, in Terminator Two, oh, yeah, love it. Well, they, they had also that, like they had also the uh, the video for it. Yeah, like, they had the yeah, music, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the actually Schwarzenegger pops out. Well, um, it is really unfortunate that I have to segue from Guns N' Roses to the next artist uh, because my artists are did not hold up that well. I loved them when I was a kid. Loved them. Like I, I went maniac for them. Um, middle school. I want to become alternative. I have no idea how to. How do I dress? What do I put? I still. I start. I start get, getting into the skating world. Right. Uh, not being able. Yeah, that's what you went. No, 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 no. I honestly. I think he was if a you said it to no 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 if you ask me no I, I would have scoffed at Avril Lavigne but unfortunately we are talking about drum roll Enemy of the State from Blink One Eighty Two that mm. move, that one was huge for me that album yeah. was huge so, oh for you as well yeah yeah so well I have Blink on mine as well but it's a little later but go on sorry okay oh you have to uh, Blink two yeah. But not Enemy of the State. Enemy of the State, I have an interesting story, but go on for why it's yours. 
Well, it's like for me now, it like Enema of the State was the perfect balance of pop and like edgy punk rock, right? They had songs like What's My Age Again, of course, uh, Aliens Exist. but they also have Aliens Exist, Dysentery, Gary, Adam Song. But that's the thing, Adam Song is still a song that I really like. You know, they had these heights. That they never, like, I think they did three albums that were really good and then they dropped out of the face of the earth for me. It's like, these are the people that don't age well while their music, For I don't know how to say it, but Guns N' Roses, if you're 20 and you're doing Guns N' Roses and then you're 40 and you're doing Guns N' Roses, it's still great. You're Axel, you know? If you're doing Blink-182 and you're 20 and you're doing Blink-182 and you're 40 and you're talking about... (laughs) Dysentery Gary and, you know, uh, the party the song. Yeah, and you're 50 and I'm like, I, you, the song is eternal maybe, but you did not age well. You just, Blink-182 should be a concept that only 20-year-olds are allowed to, to <laughs> sing. And not well, their new song, do, their new stuff doesn't have Tom DeLonge in it, first of all. Um, yeah. But the, the new stuff, when I listen to it, it's always like catchy. And then I listen to the words... And I'm just like, like you said, it. it I kind of get a little weirded out that 40 year old guys are talking about like breaking up with love, and I'm just like, yeah, what? I don't know much about them. Are they the band that is really into alien conspiracy theories? Tom is the the Tom, guy who the, the, the band. Yeah, yeah, the bass okay. player, the, no, he the bass was the guitarist. guitarist. Uh, Mark oh, yeah? Hoppus was. Oh, you're right. Bassist. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He left because apparently he was too much into. Alien theories, so they were like, "You gotta." You that's gotta why he left. This. I don't know if that's why he left. I, I think I think that's one of the reasons. But anyway, we, that's we can, amazing. We'll, yeah, we'll see. I think we'll, we'll, Tom DeLonge is a true artist, and he's just hard to work with. Mm. He's a true artist to the mm. fullest. All right, so Minos Blink. What's yours, Liam? Uh, so transitioning from that love ballad era. Uh, my parents are really, really against me getting into grunge and hardcore rock and punk, but their pushback just drove me further into it. Um, I remember them being really resistant to me ever listening to anything Kurt Cobain did, which is huh. sad because now, like looking back, I I, I love the music and I. I I wish it had been played. I wish I had access to it earlier than experiencing it later. But somehow I managed to get a hold and listen to ACDC's Back in Black. Mm, And for some reason, at the age of 10 or 11, my parents were okay with me getting that CD. Oh. And I'm really surprised now looking back and listening to the words at a close. It's it's very like allegorical on sleeping with hookers and yeah, yeah isn't there a whole lot of Rosie? Isn't a whole lot of Rosie? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. The, it, it is not like looking back and looking at the words. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> anyways, it, it, that is a great album for me. Um, it was my first CD I ever saved up money to buy, and then immediately put it onto nice. a cassette player because it's all I had as a Walkman, a and I listened to it nonstop for like years. That was that was the album on repeat. That's such yeah, a solid guys, album. You could yeah. probably make the case that's like the most song for song, the best hard rock album. It's just 10 tracks, right? And everyone is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, 
It, it opened me up because at that point I didn't listen to anything but ACDC and Metallica. Those were the two things. I know, I right? It happened also to me. I think that their music is so powerful, it's super pervasive, and then you stop listening to everything else for a while. Yeah. yeah. And then you go back to you listening to music. But it happened also to me. Like I listened only to ACDC and then they I was done with them. But it was I still like I loved them still, yeah. but you know. Yeah. One time I went through and counted the number of ACDC songs that have the word rock in the title. And <laughs> it, was, it was a big number. It's like, especially later on, like other more recent albums, I think like half the songs have the word rock in the title. For those about to rock. Yeah. My high school uh, yearbook quote was a ACDC quote. Oh, really? What was it? It's embarrassing. No, go Oh, for man. It. You do not have the most embarrassing quote. I put the stupidest thing in mine. What was yours, Dave? Sorry. For those about to rock, we salute you. That was yours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually pretty good. What was yours, Leo? Uh, I'd have to find... Uh, on a later future podcast, I will find it yeah, and we'll then read it, it out yeah. to you guys. It is bad. That'll be fun, yeah. <laughs> do you remember yours, Alberta? I, I we, don't, we didn't have those things. I don't <laughs> think we, we ever had... If I had one, it would be... Uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea really really cringy now probably like you guys but i don't have one <laughs> fair so dave um back to you so we are done with our childhood years we're getting very edgy we're getting very <laughs> yeah. first first uh first beards first uh that was in grade five for me yeah <laughs> okay okay but what's your next one <laughs> yeah so this was probably this is like after high school. This is in probably undergrad. Um, I really got into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I know when a lot of people hear them, they just think about like them with socks on their cocks. But later on, they, they wrote That's some That's literally really... not what I think of them. <laughs> okay, perfect. I think some people I think do. that. Yeah, but later on, they write some really creative music. And I think a big part of that is the guitarist, John Prashante. So I chose one of his solo albums that I was really into. Oh. And it's... The Empyrean. And I don't know how much you guys know about John, but he's a really interesting guy. He's kind of like a musical monk. Like he he quit the band at the height of their popularity because he was worried um, being so popular would get in the way of his art after the Blood yeah. Sugar era. Then he rejoins. But he goes to these phases where he just kind of retreats from the world and just makes music. And I think at one point he like stopped having sex because he thought he wanted to devote that energy to making music. He's he's recorded like hundreds of songs that no one will ever hear. He just kind of made them for the the purpose of creating them. You know, Dave, that um, you know, uh, Dave. Before you go on, you know that there's a there was a huge period of time when you said about John Frusciante when he left the band, and it was a huge thing also in Italy. Oh, yeah, in yeah. Italy, they wrote a book about it. You know that? Really, I didn't know that. It's it's a it's a coming of age book. It's called Jack Frusciante has left the band. No way. It's about a kid who has a group of friends and they're all together but then he starts he, he just starts leaving them because he's going up etc you should you should check that out actually it, it, it was huge when it came out in 94 i think yeah yeah i should check that out yeah he went through a really bad drug addiction at that point and then kind of came back from that and that sort of inspires a lot of his music a lot of his music is about sort of dying and suffering and then coming back to life mm. um and I just pulled this quote that he wrote about the Empyrean. Um, and it's really on this theme. He says, the main character goes through extreme loneliness and at times thinks he can only merge with this force being sort of the force of creativity upon dying. 
And then in the eighth song of the story, a kind of suicide takes place, which results in a rebirth. And then the rebirth takes place wow. in songs nine and ten, where he finds himself filled with wonderment in regards to life. I'll stop there. But yeah, he's, he's just a really interesting guy. Really like sort of the pure embodiment of an artist. And what's cool is when that like, that pure creative energy then gets funneled into a pop, more of a pop band. And so like what he brings to the Red Hot Chili Peppers is also pretty amazing. Um, you can sort of compare their albums with and without him and you can definitely hear the difference. Yeah, but this was this is definitely a phase of me where just, you know, listening to a bit more experimental, weirder music and like getting into to that kind of thing. So yeah, The Empyrean. It's from 2009. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now, with me, this is really interesting. This next album. It's one of my favorite albums ever. Ever. From one of my favorite bands ever. Um... The problem is this, I bought this album when it came out and did not listen to it and did not understand it until a very later age of my life. So Before you imagine, say it, can we guess it? Like, can you give us a clue? Go for it. You it? know that. Yeah, you know that. But go for it. Go, I mean, you, we, he has, Liam has not heard this album now, but I bet he knows. Go for it. No, no, no. But give us more clues. Like, so I'm, what, what era, what oh. age was it? So I remember exactly when I bought this album, as I was telling Dave before. It was 2002. I was in a trip to San Marino, which is an, another country inside Italy. We'll talk about the weird stuff in Italy, uh, about countries. So we, there was this state in Italy, it's called San Marino. And I went in this uh, CD shop and my brother bought it from me, for me. And uh, it was 2002. At that point in my life, I was listening to very pop stuff like almost cringeworthy almost done with backstreet boys etc but my my brother buys me this and i start listening to it and it's too heavy for me at that point but then i start you know going as i said to blink 182 and that album was always in the background then i start with limbiscuit and the album is still in the background and then all of a sudden that album pops out in my life and it's like transformative for me is it rock it really it's rock it's heavy rock it's from um and it's from um well it, it, from a band that became huge in the 2000s yeah the, the, the system of it down well. no nine inch nails mm, no very am i closer with nine inch nails reference you are because they collaborated a, a bunch is of it times, food fighters one of the members was in the band. One of the members was in a band for one album, I think. Queens of Stone Age. Yes, it is. Ah. Songs for the Deaf. That is for you. And that album, that album for me. So I started with No One Knows. I only listened to No One Knows because it's a very, like, it's the, you know, it's a small, nice track and it, mm -hmm. it's very much, uh, but it, you could see the riffs going and the, and the, and the drumming is pretty pretty heavy. But then I started listening very, a lot. And it's such a transformative album because, because it's literally a trip. I think from L.A. to El Rancho de la Luna, which is in the Death Valley. And the whole album depicts this voyage of this car going through radio stations. That's why you listen to radio, kind of, while you're going through the tracks. There's like DJs. Uh, fake DJs going on and it 
changed all my perspective in music because at that point music became not these riffs and not these like breaking up songs but it was more like doom sad very very heavy on like the the lyrics and very heavy on the sound and i never left them ever since i went to see them every time they were live in the city i would live in i would go and see them i i grew up with them at that point and by seeing growing up i would say i really started listening to them late in high school and i'm listening to them still now so that that album was huge for me dave Grohl played drums on that album right yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah he is such a success. He just came player. out from, I think, uh, one of his uh, decently successful Foo Fighter albums, and he didn't know if he wanted to continue the project with Foo Fighters, so he went and did this album to go back to the drumming era of his mm-hmm. life. But then he 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 made it with Foo Fighters and he just left. I, I think because he had um, done that, he had just finished releasing his third album at that point and finished yeah, the tour. Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, Fly or something like that. Yeah, Whatever. that's when he became yeah. big. Yeah. And then, because all the color and the shapes came out, I think in 1999, possibly, with the one with Monkey Ranch. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, which got huge success. But then that Learn to Fly album, which came out in 2001, 2002, he toured, and then he like left the band to go to Queens of the Stone Age. And I remember listening to the radio. I was like, Foo Fighters are done. Dave Grohl's in 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 Queens of the Stone know, Age. Right? I was like, yeah. I love Foo Fighters. No. And then yeah, but he did both projects. So. But man, there's so many collaborations in that album. Like we're talking about, even uh, Mark Lanigan is in that album. The 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 the, the main singer from um, what's that name of that grunge band? Uh, Screaming Trees, I guess. Yeah, Screaming Trees. Uh, and there's so many other collaborations in that album. It's such a good album. You should all listen to it mm-hmm. if you can. If you like, if you want to trip hard, go for it. <laughs> I think he's such an interesting guitar player. Like he'll play, his solos are kind of like bluesy solos, just kind of like screwed up a little bit. Like he'll throw in notes from outside of the scale that just make it sound a little bit weird, but it still works. Yeah, yeah that's great. Do you like his thing he did with um, what was it? With John Paul Jones and that was him, right? Uh, what's it called? Michael Van Crooked Vultures. Yeah, Van Crooked Vultures. Vultures. Yeah, I went yeah. to see them live. I went to oh, see okay, them cool. live. I took a train to see them live. I was in Italy, went to Germany, eight-hour trip with a friend of mine just to see them in nice. Munich. It was really good. It was really good. I loved that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was good. I don't think it's the best album that they ever did, but it's a very solid album. And I thought they were going to do more, but then they stopped. So it's a good one-off, and I think it just has to be left as a one-off. So yeah, that I was like mine. That John that Paul Jones mine. got invited, the poor guy, because when Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, they did their thing, they didn't invite him. Man. Yeah, I know. All right, Liam. So mine's a little bit of uh, Canadiana here. Uh, so after Back in Black, I had a bunch of albums that like just streamed on through. Like Hourly Peace became very popular in North America, but Canada rock music became really popular in North America. Good job, I think, on our government at the time of really promoting music, and then it translated down to the states as well. But my favorite band growing up in t- like around my formative years of grade six, grade seven, grade eight transition was the Matthew Good Band. Mm. Alberto, do you know them? No, I, I know. I know them from the radio now. And 
Uh, Shelby, uh, my girlfriend, actually likes them. Some of the some of the tracks, but yeah, now I know that. Yeah, he eventually ended up going Soulcore. He had problems as well. I think he was dealing with a lot of like mental health issues, um, and then working with a band was really tough. Uh, and he was a lead, and so he broke up and then went on his Soulcore, which produced really good albums as well, and probably more all round amazing albums when he went solo. But the first album that i like obsessed about of theirs was beautiful midnight it had a bunch mm-hmm. of hits that came out of it like load me up um hello time bomb there was just a bunch of like really good songs that came out of that but i listened to that 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 song on or that album on repeat on my discman at that time finally <laughs> uh with 30 second anti-shock Ooh. i remember that yeah i remember those classy man over here yeah it was never enough. There's never enough, though, yeah. No matter how long it was, it was never enough. Yeah. I remember that song was on Big Shiny Tunes 5. I heard it a lot on that. Load me up. Yeah. It, it, whenever Big Shiny Tunes came out, like it kind of paired itself off. So I had the Big Shiny Tunes albums with hit with their music on it. And then I had the actual album. And there's so much about that album that every song sounds different, first of all. And it's like not pop, but it became pop at the time. But it's like a really good rock album, I think. I can't describe it anything beyond that, other than that it was very formative for me. I remember I got it from uh, the girl I was really close at the time, and her mom found out that I that, that she was buying it for me and was going to make her take it back because it had a parental warning on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a funny album to think about a parent getting upset about. <laughs> yeah, there's like, it's nowadays, right? Yeah. I don't even think they put like, parental warnings on stuff anymore they just accept it they're like yeah the, the, we're, we're fine with it at this yeah. point yeah so yeah it was that was my coming of age album and then uh, i'll get to the blink 182 next one okay Ooh. so Ooh. last round we're all grown up we almost we all created ourselves musically but something is defining us more than anything right something maybe we've missed maybe when we were growing up and now we were trying to get back on it. That's mine at least. But what is young adult Dave Sidhu listening to now? <laughs> I think that's totally it. Like if I were to build a narrative out of this, you start off listening to what your parents are listening to. Then you kind of find this harder edgier music that you like. Then I don't know, you start, I don't know, listening to more weirder music. But all along the way, it's kind of forming your identity. Like, I remember in junior high, I was like, oh, I listen to rap and hip-hop. I don't like that rock stuff. And then I got into rock, and I was like, ugh, I don't like this rap and hip-hop stuff. I had so many friends that you just described. <laughs> I think the final phase in that evolution is just, like, liking what you like and not caring about the identity that goes along with it. So the last album I chose was when I got back into rap, and it's Kanye West's Graduation. It's his third album. Um, Sorry, Dave, is it the one with the teddy bear? Yeah, yeah, it's It's a purple album. It's a cartoon. It's the teddy bear. And yeah, it has, what does it have on it? It has Stronger, Good Life. It has the one with Chris Martin. Um, so it's got a, a pretty wide variety of songs and they're, it's 13 songs and they're all just such, such good individual songs. Like it's like we talked about Back in Black being 10 for 10. I think it's like a 13 for 13 album. Kanye West's t- scale. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of changed a little bit nowadays, but yeah, this to me represents just like liking what you like and not having to, you know, define yourself by a certain genre. Just sort of enjoying what you enjoy. Yeah. 
I never was in uh, the kind of, like, I never went into hip-hop until a later age in life. I actually enjoy hip-hop now, which is crazy. I think what drew me to it was, like, the, I think it was a good gateway album because it wasn't just about the rap and the lyrics, but, like, the production was so good and so interesting and so musical. And so, like, that was kind of this gateway into rap for me. What was uh, that song of Kanye West? I loved it when it came out. Uh, it's the one where the music video is Pamela Anderson and he's doing Evil Knievel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's on the second one. Touch the Sky? Touch the Sky. Yeah, there Touch you go. The sky, Touch yeah. the Sky. Yeah, I yeah, love that one. one. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. One, yeah. He's so talented. He's so talented. It's a shame he turned into a, a Trump supporter recently. but. Yeah, well, what can you do? What can you do? And now... And now, finally, we go to, as you said, exactly. Now, finally, I am, I got rid of, you know, the pressures, the, the social pressures that's in, in high school. Uh, I'm developing more my taste of music. And my taste of music is fast, loud, sometimes chill, but the most of it is fast, loud. So, for example, I had to cut a massive album for me on this track for the period of time because I love the Arctic Monkeys but I could not put that mm. one because uh, whatever people say and that's what I'm not I loved that album but what made the cut for me was uh, uh, because I listened to them way later in life but I love them it's uh, my love for horror translated into music as well and Static Age from The Misfits is one of my favorite albums of all time. Like, I don't know, you guys, I don't know if you guys listen to Misfits a lot. I would not tell you to listen to it. But Guns N' Roses, guess what? They covered their songs. Metallica, guess what? They covered their songs. Misfits were super influential to these bands. And I can see why. Static Age, 35 minutes of song. Certain songs are super weird. It's done by a huge asshole, which is called Glenn Danzig <laughs> as the lead songwriter. Uh. He's like he he never he he, he then made Danzig, uh, of course, because it's his last name, so he wants uh, to be the center of attention. But this album is weird because it came out, I think, in late seventies, early eighties. But it never came out, actually. They recorded it, and then it came out in the 90s because they had problems because they split up in the meantime. So they had issues on releasing it. Da, 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 da. Came out in 97. I was not there to listen to it. And then I started listening to it in life when I was in university. And from then on, I just never left this album. Uh, maybe, you know, I think... Uh, uh, if you search for the spaghetti accident... Yeah, Attitude, right? I just looked it up. Attitude. Attitude is okay, there. Cool. Exactly. Great song. That one. Teenager from Mars. We are 138, which is literally a hymn to violence. But I've never <laughs> understood why is it a hymn to violence. There's no... It's so fast, you cannot understand it. Last Caress. TV Casualty. Any, any Jackass fan will know Hybrid Moments. There is so many great hits. And that was my it's quintessential punk album for a long time. Forever, I guess. And you saw them recently, right? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> Good job remembering that. Uh, they never toured together, uh, the original members. And 
uh, I convinced my girlfriend that I met uh, at that time we were dating five months for five months and I found out that the Misfits were touring in Washington so I bought the tickets I was like we're going to Washington State are you happy and she's like what are we watching what are you seeing the Misfits you like them thank god she did <laughs> thank god she knew the Misfits before because I just wanted to go and see them that was amazing <laughs> that was a great concert actually amazing, Do, amazing. Uh, before we go on you, so you talk about horror music that made me think if Horror movies, the music in horror movies works for your dad, actually. Because, like, if he just hears music as something scary and uncomfortable, maybe music in horror movies would actually work for him. Super interesting. I don't think he likes horror movies. So, uh, okay. wow. He, yeah. he, he actually screened himself for that. Okay. He shielded himself from that. I don't know why. You're right, though. Yeah. Maybe it makes it too intense for him. Like, the music just maybe, becomes maybe. so much noise that it's like... Like walking through a bush and a raptor gets you. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, uh, what is your coming of age album? Um, so uh, bear with me. I had to divide it between two because they came out the same year, but they are a harsh <laughs> contrast. Can I do it? You guys gonna let me do two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so in two thousand three, so the beautiful midnight came out in nineteen ninety nine. Um, and so there was a four year period there where I was listening to a lot of like rock and then transitioning into that punk, but listening to old school punk, um, like punk, punk, um, yeah. and then pop punk came around, right. It became more popular. And there was a couple bands that were transitioning in that phase. And we talked about like coming of age, just like liking what you like. It kind of opened the door to like more pop stuff because of these two guys, these two albums. Um, the first one that I bought that year was sing of sorrows from afi and it was like their first commercial album that like hit it huge <laughs> no i i don't think the mainstream knew what the songs were about or what they were singing it was just it was poppy in a, se a certain sense was it the one with the miss murder no that was that was later that's when they went full-on pop pop punk okay okay it was okay. the one that was transitioning it was like girls gone gray um but it was it was it, it was the album that had um, it was like really dark, kind of screamo and pop rock punk. And there was like that moment where I was like, I, I liked the first AFI album that they had released. And then I transitioned to this and I loved it. And it was like, everyone started loving it. So I was like, oh, my music's getting popular. And so I just started listening to more pop popular stuff at that time. And so nowadays I would say that I listen to way more popular music than you guys do. Sorry, Liam, before you continue, were, wasn't AFI the ones like they literally had a huge change? I think they went from the kid that destroyed the world to Miss Murder. It was such a radical change, right? Yeah, and I think that album was the the radical change part. They they had been this like underground, like screamo band for a couple of years. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. Uh, Sing of Sorrows, um, or Sing the Sorrows, I think, not Sing of Sorrows. Um, transition them to that pop pop culture kind of thing and then brought all their their things to the radio stations worldwide do you know the album i'm talking about vaguely i don't have a huge i was i was never a huge afi uh, fan but i listened to them when i went uh, like to concerts etc yeah the main singers what's his name uh davy havoc is his name mm. what a weird what a so. crazy name yeah they had so that their singles were um what was it from that album? It was, I think, Silver and Cold, 
Girls Not Grey, Celluloid Dreams. Like, it's just really weird song titles and really names. And, like, the lyrics are really weird. But the videos are super weird. But somehow, pop culture latched onto them. So, <laughs> and I think it diverted them because then they went on to doing Miss, Miss Murder. Miss Murder, and, yeah. Um, other things like and transmit transmissions end and like they became more poppy at that point and I, I followed them after that part but like not as religiously as I would say that that album and then simultaneously that same year which I'm getting now to the Blink one is Blink's self title came out now until that point Blink was predominantly like liked by most people and the and I think um, Enema of the State was their album that blew them up so to speak. 100%. But blew them up to the point of being noticed. Their self-titled Blink-182 album, I think, made them mainstream. Flat out, they were then part of, like, what would be considered, like, pop culture at that point. Like, your parents had heard their songs and recognized who they were at that point. Is, is it the one with I Miss You? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. they had, like, it was more of that, like, refined kind of, like culmination of like balance between artistic extreme and pop popular adherence that is crazy liam because guess what i bought that album and i just hated them at that point so i hated them yeah i i I think it could have been that i think that that for both those albums it was that transition period of like where bands were being popular they were getting um producers to be interested in them and the producers were having a little bit more control but it blew those bands up huge like what we liked them in 1999 to 2002 we liked them and it was just this niche group of music and 2003 to 2004 is when they just became like the mainstream yeah you're right, you're right. i see what you're saying yeah i see what and, you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah. so it set the door for me later on to accept that kind of music that i could just listen to uh, that in between i didn't have to be in that fringe zone of liking music i could accept the fact that i like pop music <laughs> okay okay um but oh, the story about the i was gonna say about uh, the enema of the state album is i got that on a trip um out mm-hmm. out, out uh, i think my family was traveling east and i was really like I, I loved spending time with my family, but I was in that transition stage of turning to an adolescent and having like friends outside of the home. And they took me away from that for an entire month. And I got that album and I must've been really, really moody and like not like <laughs> listening to them. And they like snuck in and like found this album I had bought. And I think in Quebec city or something, and it was Enema of the state. And they, they read the lyrics to the CD covers <laughs> And they like confronted me about this is the lesson you the music you listen to like <laughs> what is it saying here I was just like I don't it's just good music. <laughs> <laughs> the advantage of Spotify nowadays. Yeah. All right, so that covers basically all our musical journey. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to us and to uh, Carlo Arrigo Milta aka my dad and his musical journey which was not that exciting musical journey but it was exciting to hear his perspective on music and um, yeah thanks all for listening to us and stay tuned for another episode bye Thank you, bye if you want to hear some of the songs that we talked about there is the Spotify playlist linked in the show notes if you like the episode don't forget to like and subscribe we're on Instagram at 3 guys on a pod. That's the word three. 
and you can reach us by email at threeguysonapod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.